Welcome to the Grace Hill Podcast, a weekly podcast of our Sunday messages driven by our pastor, Michael Norman. Grace Hill exists to bring God's biblical truth to your everyday life. As we begin this week's message, we invite you to open your Bibles and capture what God has in store for you today. Well, it's good to be here. Everybody that loves Jesus, say amen. amen. We, uh, we were planning to get back to Springfield, which is where we live. After Christmas holidays, but Ryan got sicker and sicker, and his mama looked over and says, your dad can preach for you. You don't have to do this. So Rita volunteered me, but I was honored, and uh, I, am, I am sad that he's sick, but it was fun to spend the night with him last night and hang out with those grandboys, and I've been anxious and looking forward to spending a little time with you. We are, we are honored that uh, we are connected to you through our son, our son Ryan. He's not Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's going to be some kind of day this morning if we keep that up. Our Savior, Jesus, we're connected, but through my son, Ryan, we are also connected, and uh, he's all excited. They're very excited about their opportunity to minister to you here and lead as God leads them, and we're excited for them and believe you're going to be blessed. They brag on you all the time. They're excited about this church and about what God's doing here, and we're excited to worship. Good job this morning. Didn't that worship team do a good job? And I think it's all right. Show them you appreciate the work they do. I've got a feeling they didn't just show up this morning and do that. I think they had to work at that before they got here. And so there there was some good preparation that goes into those kind of things, and we so appreciate it. Well, I could tell stories about Ryan, which you would probably enjoy more than the preaching, but I'm going to preach anyway because uh, we don't want to get too caught up in that. And uh, maybe I'll, I know he talks about me because I've heard that he does. So I should just get up here and talk about him. I probably shouldn't. You've had an interesting year as a church. Uh, 10 or 11 years ago when when Michael at Tamara was working in our office in those days, I was the superintendent of the North Texas District of the Assemblies of God, and Tamara worked for our church planning department as an assistant to uh, Nova Pittman at that time. And um, one day, the opportunity came for me to speak to Michael, and I said, Michael, what's God got on your heart? What's he saying to you? And we had a good conversation. And all of it, I shared with him a concern I had for this part of Dallas, I said, all the churches are moving to the other side of 635. They're, they're getting over the loop, outside of the loop. And there is such a great need inside. And there's just got to be somebody. And I want you to really pray about whether or not it's you. And he already was. He said, well, we already are praying that way. And so over the next number of months, we would go back and forth about what is God saying. The first time that I really pushed him here, and it was me more than God in that moment, he, uh, he didn't feel it was right, and they ended up down in the south part of the state for a while. And we won't talk about that time. When they got out of the will of God. But uh, no, I just... Uh, and if you want to tell him I said that, you can, because I want to, they're my friends, and we loved them so much. We still do. The excitement came, though, when they shared with me that they really were sure God was leading them to begin here through the battles of those first two or three years that they faced. And they were some difficult times where success would come and then difficulty would hit. And I watched them struggle, prayed with them through that. Even when they were buying this building, he sat in my office and we discussed how we can finance it and the process that was in their heart. So I've been involved in this in, a, in an extended way for a long time. 
And I thought it was interesting when, uh, when I was told that he felt the Lord had put Ryan on his heart. And I knew Ryan was looking for that place that God was leading him to for next. And I thought back through all those years and all the time I'd already prayed over this place. So I can tell you that joining my prayer to this is not new. We've been praying for you for a long time, not knowing that someday our son and his beautiful, lovely, special wife would be your pastors. I still have a passion for this part of Dallas, and I still believe this place has been raised up by the will and time of God to reach this city with the gospel in a special way, not that other churches are not, but in a very special and unique way, God's going to show off in this city through this church, his love and his power. His love and his power. There aren't many churches in the city where the power of God is being manifest with the miraculous. I want you to get a hold of that. Because what God's going to do here is not just going to be another another place with great sermons. It's going to become a place of the demonstration of his power. Now, don't be afraid of that. Embrace it. Because he does want to confirm his word with signs following. Amen? And that's what's been in my heart to pray for you. And so I just ask you to let God begin to lead and do new things. So that's, uh, that's enough for me about that. But we love you and we're so proud of what God's up to. And that was fun. And uh, I guess that happens regularly. I can't tell if God was for me or against me on that statement. We're going to have a good time today. I want you to open your Bibles to Joshua. We're going to begin in uh, chapter 1, verse 1. It's an interesting, that whole book of Joshua. I didn't give you guys my notes, so you don't have these up here. I apologize. Um, This was kind of a last-minute thing, and so I I didn't, I should have got my notes to you guys. It begins in that passage, that first verse where he said, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert of Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country, to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so will I be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous. Because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Father, we pray this spirit of the Lord would help us. This is a series of sermons inside this passage. Just piece by piece, the principles you give us in this short piece of your Bible are more than we can comprehend in one setting. But I ask you, Lord, to help magnify the parts that are specifically designed to speak to us today. I thank you for it, and I give you the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, it's so much in here that I like the fact that God establishes parameters, and he said, here's the parameters in which I'm going to give you blessing and opportunity. And within these parameters, within these borders, what you do, I'm going to bless. 
You know, one of the things I've learned over the years that all of us are better inside the parameters of grace God has given us than outside of those parameters. That there is a grace God has given us. There's gifts, strengths, abilities, even locations and assignments where there's an authority that comes to us inside those parameters. There's an anointing for us inside the parameters and the place God has given us. When we work in and operate in those, there is a help from God, a grace from God that enables us to live at a higher level and be more effective inside. But sometimes, sometimes there's a tempter on the other side of the wall from us saying, come over here. It's better over here. It's always, grass is always greener on the other side. Come over here and lures us away, promising us things that he cannot fulfill. And when we go outside of the place God has called us, we'll discover we're not so good after all, that how good we were was really dependent on the grace God had given us, and that grace comes to us inside the parameters. So it's not unusual in our life for God to mark out some places that we're supposed to be, stay inside that parameter of grace. That's a whole message that I'm not going to preach today. You just thought I was. The other piece is this, this little clear understanding that, that he makes this statement in the very beginning before they move inside that parameter of promise and blessing. God says to him, he says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then. What an incredible statement. It's so important because something had to happen. It was, it's important because this, this death, we're going to talk about death a little. We're talking about the end. This is the last Sunday of the year. We're going to wrap this thing up, tie a knot in it, and get on with life. Amen? So we're in that point. Well, he begins this statement by declaring the death of Moses as though it were necessary and important. Now that that's happened, we can move on. See, if you understand that whole teaching and the whole truth and history of Israel. They had first come out of the land of Egypt. And when they got out of the land of Egypt, it was an exciting time. Good things were happening. And and the new beginning as they marched out and they get to that place where the enemies, the Egyptians chase them down into toward the sea. And now they're hemmed in at the sea. And then Moses stands up and holds up his rod. The sea parts. They march over on dry land. The enemy comes in behind them. The sea closes over them, kills them all. And there's a great victory. And there's, yes, how great was that? And then God leads them them in the, in the direct place, the direction of the promised land that he had promised Abraham all those centuries before. And they get ready to go into the promised land. And, and so Moses says, well, I'm going to send some spies in and let the spies check out the land. So 12, one from each tribe, go into the land. And when they see the land, they see it's good. They see it's all God said it was, but they also see that the people that live there are giants. They're larger. They're bigger. They're more powerful. They're, they're familiar with warfare. And these guys were coming right out from under the oppression of, of the Egyptians where they had been servants and slaves. They didn't know anything about battle. All they knew how to do was make bricks for Pharaoh. And all of a sudden, they're asked to walk into this land. And they say, these guys are huge. And they're warriors. They're armies. They're organized. They know how to fight. They know how to kill people. It's what they do. Their cities are walled. It's just, it's unbelievable. Oh, sure, the grapes are as big as God said they were. And the land sure flows with milk and honey. And the promise is real. But there's an enemy between us and them. We've never seen an enemy like that. Now, wait a minute. The Egyptians were a great army. And you just saw God defeat. Defeat that army on your behalf. 
And yet immediately, almost instantly, they forgot how God had given them one victory and couldn't believe God for the next. And those 10 spies came out and they said, is there too much for us? Well, you know, let me just make a statement here. The devil will always be too much for us, but he will never be too much for God. And they just forgot that. Just for a moment, they forgot. Wait a minute. This is not our battle. It's the Lord's. But in that moment, they believed it was their battle. And so two, Joshua and Caleb, two of those leaders came out and they said, boy, it's incredible. God is great enough to do. They had the faith. They believed. They said, here's the, here's the milk and the honey and the grapes and the, all the blessing of God. Look at the spoil that we brought back. This is everything God said. Let's go get them in the morning. And the other 10 said, are you kidding? We'll be destroyed. And they discouraged the people. And the people became discouraged and lost their faith. Just a few days, three days earlier, they had looked over and seen the victory of God. And in that short period of time, how many times do we identify with them? Because we get a victory and within a few days, we already forget how big our God is. I mean, you know, we need to learn from these guys because we do. We, I mean, we get one and then we face a new battle and it's as though the God of the last battle is not the same God in this battle. Oh, sure. He can beat Egyptians. Any God can beat the Egyptians. But he probably can't beat the inhabitants of the promised land. Where do you come up with this kind of theology? Yet sometimes we find ourselves saying the God that fixed my financial need can't fix my marriage need. The God that fixed this somehow can't do this. And I can't take that faith forward into the next thing God has put before me. And we have to stir our faith up. And remember, it's the same God in every battle. But they didn't. So they became discouraged. And so God said, you know, I've had enough of you guys. And here's here's the deal. Because you don't have the faith to go in. I'm going to let all of you die in the wilderness. Hey, you know, there's your deal. And your children that are born in the wilderness will be able to go into the promised land. But those of you who had the chance and blew it who have seen me do all the miracles I did against Egypt, who saw all the plagues, who saw all that I did and saw the victory and saw the pastor. You've seen all of that and you still can't get it. So I've made the decision not to let you go into the promised land, but your children will go in. Now, now they all had to die. And then he made a deal. He said, but not Joshua and not Caleb because they had the faith. I will sustain their life and they will inherit the promised land with your children. The two old men. They would be then. And then Moses. Now Moses, he should go in just because he's Moses. He should be allowed. He's Moses. Come on, that's Moses. He's, he's, he wrote down the law. He climbed the mountain. He saw God. He hung out with God. God showed him his glory. I mean, this guy has a relationship like no one else in all of history. This guy, he should just go in because he should get like a Moses card. And you know, when you just flash him, I'm sorry, I'm Moses. Oh yeah, come on in, Moses. Moses gets anything he wants because he's Moses. And that, that's what you would think. You were born and put in a basket, floated in the Nile. I mean, what a life you had and killed an Egyptian. That didn't work out. But you kept going and now Moses suddenly is... But he was tied to that old generation because he too had hit the rock when he should have spoke to it. Long story. I'm not going to tell it. But Moses had to die. He was the last one left of that generation. 
So that whole generation is ready to move into the promise of God. They're ready to go across this, this Jordan River and inherit the land and the promise. This young generation that had been raised up, not as slaves, but as wanderers. But they had had battles along the way that had prepared them to see the help of God and the faithfulness of God. This generation was the generation to go, but they could not go until Moses had died. They loved Moses. They trusted Moses. They believed Moses. He was the patriarch. He was the man. He was the man of God. He was the man whose face glowed when he spent time in God's presence. This was a unique guy. And yet Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then. Now what am I saying? I'm simply saying that there are things in our life that had value. They had purpose. They had a time. They, they, had, they had a certain parameter that they operated in. And the grace of God was there for them inside those parameters, inside this time period on the calendar, the parameters of the calendar, the parameters of the responsibility of what God was doing in that moment, of what God was accomplishing in that time. They were the person. They were it. They were everything. They mattered. But they had fulfilled everything between the parameters that God had given them to do. They had completed it all. And now what, instead of being the blessing, they're now the thing keeping us from moving forward. Say amen. I just want to know if you can. That's all. I just want to know if you can do that. And so something happens there. So he said, Moses was, Moses was everything I wanted Moses to be. Later on, God will speak of Moses in such high terms that it'll just blow your socks off. This great man of God. And so he is who he is. But even Moses had reached and fulfilled his purpose and his time in the process. And until he died, they could not move on. And so God makes this declaration, Moses, my servant is dead. Now then, now then. My question has to be to us, and, and, and are there some things that God in your life has brought to an end, and you're mourning those things when maybe you should almost be celebrating? They mourned the death of Moses. As a matter of fact, Joshua, after he makes this statement, he goes and he says, for the next 30 days, we're just going to mourn Moses. We're going to mourn his loss. We're going to mourn him and how much we loved him, how emotionally tied to him we were. He's going to be so much. We're going to say, we're just sorry that Moses is dead. And we're, we just, we're going to miss Moses. And boy, didn't Moses do this? And didn't Mo-? He said, we're just going to get all moseyed up for the next 30 days. And then he said, we're going to cross the Jordan. Because you can't just live your life in mourning of what was that no longer is. There's a moment where you say, I've mourned enough, I've cried enough, I've wept enough, I've regretted enough that this has happened. But you've got to understand the power of death and what happens at death and the value of death. It has its place. It has its place. I love, I love Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27. It says, just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment... So Christ was sacrificed once to take away all the sins of many, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Death. Death is so much a part of all that we're doing. It's so much a part of life that God established this process from beginning to end, this this master plan for humanity that would begin in the garden and end in the book of Revelation, that we would see the fullness of it until finally the new heaven and the new earth where we'll live forever and ever, where every tear is wiped away, where there is no sorrow, there is no fear, there is no mourning. It's a wonderful experience, but it starts here and it goes through this and it's generational for mankind. So we all come on the stage for a little while and we live our life and then we die and then we go on. 
Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verse 8 makes an incredible statement. It says, better is the end of a thing than the beginning. Because we, have a, we celebrate the birth of a child pretty often. We mourn the death of a human uh, at whatever age. We, that's it. But he said, no, when it's over, that's when you celebrate. It's kind of like the king that went up against Ahab in the scripture. And he was going to come. Now, Ahab was a bad king, but God, he was still king of Israel. And so God helped him in a battle. And this one king rose up against him and, and king out in Edom. And he was going to come and, and he was boasting about what he's going to do to Israel. And Ahab said to him, you know, it's better to save your boasting. It's better not to use your boasting when you put your armor on, but when you take it off. And there's something about a life complete and a life finished and the end of a thing, the end of a process and the celebration that there's something about death that's not so bad. Now, he says every man, it's appointed a man wants to die and after that he'll face the judgment, all of us. So if we live our life correctly, our death is really, it's, it's, the, it's not the end of, of existence, it's just the end of earthly life. And then we face the judgment and if we're judged righteous in Christ, we move on in the fullness of the blessing of God. And the end is better because there's no sorrow, there's no mourning, there's no pain. There's no struggle. All that we deal with here is gone. It's all victory on the other side. The Bible teaches us that God looks on the death of his saints with joy because he knows they no longer have to suffer the things of life, that they walk into the fullness of what he has. And so we, we have this thing to think something's dead. That's bad. It's bad. It's bad. But maybe, maybe we need to rethink that. And maybe I'm not just talking about people. Maybe what I'm saying is that death is is a finish so that I can be released to move forward. Maybe, maybe the way we need to look at this was, was very clear that, that it was not until death had taken place that inheritance could take place. Is this making sense? See, there has to be death. You got, you got all this land that they're going, and God uses the word inherit. They're going to inherit. I read it just a while ago. You're going to inherit the land, but they couldn't inherit the land until the death of Moses had taken place. And you can't inherit something until death. And somebody's got to probate the will. There's got to be a release. There's got to be a passing on. And you can say, well, we love them very much. I, I know you, I, I, my favorite inheritance is from the rich uncle that I never knew. That way I don't mourn. I don't, I didn't know him anyway, but look what I got. That's a great deal. But it usually doesn't work that way. It never has for me. Probably somebody will get that. But, but what happens is in this case, they loved Moses, but they couldn't inherit the promise as long as he was living. And sometimes there's things in our life. Are you listening to me? I want you to make sure and tune in on this piece. Sometimes there are things in our lives that we're praying, God, let me, God, let me, God. This is what, this is right. And God said, boy, you're right. I want you to want that. I am glad you're desiring the thing I want you to desire. Oh, Lord, if you, he said, that's right. But there is something here that has to die before you can inherit it. And sometimes things in our life God works to bring them to an end, but we're so connected to them emotionally. We've so committed to following them. We know how to follow Moses. We don't know how to follow Joshua. We trust Moses. We're not sure we can trust Joshua. It's that release that they had to get through in order to follow the new person God had put in place. And sometimes God allows a business to die so that we can be released to go to the next business God has for us. Sometimes he allows a relationship to deteriorate and become 
almost toxic where we can't be with and we have to let it die and move on. Sometimes those relationships are literally dragging us away from what God has for us. And as long as we keep trying to hold on to those relationships, we can't go to what God really has for us. And so God allows that relationship to get sick and die. And then we're grieving over, oh, if I'd have just done this or if I would have just, maybe, maybe what you need to do is take your 30 days of mourning, get over it and cross the river into the promised land God has for you. Amen, pastor. That's some good preaching right there. (laughs) Woo. I like that stuff. All right. I can do both parts. I, I can do both parts. So there's this, this process in us where, where we get emotionally connected to things that had a time, had a purpose. Sometimes we even get emotionally connected to things we never should have been emotionally connected to. Sometimes we hook up where we should not hook up. Sometimes we get out of the plan and out of the will of God, and we still get emotionally connected. Because we're emotional people. So we connect to things. And we begin to say, well, I'm comfortable with this. Well, it's bad for you. And it's unhealthy. I know, but I'm comfortable with bad and unhealthy. So God helps us sometimes by causing that thing to die and begin to fester. And it's just not there anymore. We just can't make it work. But we just keep going back. And we just won't turn loose. When Moses died, did you know they actually went looking for him? I mean, after God took him, they went and tried to find him again. It happened again when Elijah was taken up in a whirlwind, and Elisha takes his mantle, the mantle of Elijah, smotes the water, it parts, he goes over. All the students at the school of the prophets said, wow, you, the anointing that was on Elijah is now on Elisha. And then they said, let's go look for Elijah. That's what they said. And he said, Don't go look for him. He's been taken up in a whirlwind. He's in heaven. He's gone. He's not here anymore. It's over. That's a chapter that's finished. God used him to a certain point. Now he's using me to do the next thing. He said, yeah, but we're going to go try to find him. Get over it. And they spent three days looking. Finally, they come back and said, we couldn't find him. (laughs) And sometimes in our life, we're chasing stuff God's already through with. We're trying to bring back to life something that we hoped would work. Maybe it did. Maybe it had its moment. But we're still emotionally bound to it. And we can't really move forward with what God has for us. It may be a job. It may be a career. It may be a person. It may be a relationship. It may be. You know what it is. And that's over. It's time to have a funeral. It's time to finish mourning. So that we can cross over into the promise God has for us. It was finished. I don't want to take all day. So I'm going to try to keep moving. Let me teach you some principles. That If I step down here, is it going to ring or anything? Because sometimes... I step down and then the whole sound system goes off on me and it gets crazy. I don't know what's the air conditioner and what's, yeah, I'll just. I'm going to start rebuking devils here in a minute and just see what happens. If you study God, you'll notice this. One of the things you'll notice in this scripture is that every God-sized dream requires more than one generation. Let that soak for a minute. That's kind of deep for, you know, the last day of the year. 
Every God-sized dream requires more than one generation. Let me give you three quick instances. One is, one is Moses. Moses had the gift and ability, call and authority to lead the people out of the bondage of Egypt and get them all the way into the wilderness. But he had to hand it off to Joshua. Joshua had to pick up the dream, which from the beginning was to get them all the way to the promised land. Joshua had to pick it up and finish what Moses started. There had to be a generational exchange. And so God made the exchange. Joshua finished it. So it took more than one generation to finish it. So one generation got out, died in the wilderness. Another generation rose up from them and went into the promised land. And it took two leaders from two generations to accomplish the purpose. We see that same principle again with David and his son Solomon. David was a great warrior. He was the great warring king. Actually, David finished what Joshua left undone. Actually, it carried over for generations, and David finished taking the land and the promise. He, he, they had taken the city of the Jebusites and lost it a few times, but David would take the city of the Jebusites and name it Jerusalem, the city of David. He finished it. He accomplished oh, He's a great warrior. And so when he said to God, this is the city of the Lord, now I, I want to build a temple here, God said, no, you can't. No, you can't because you're a man of war. Your gifting, your design, your grace, the parameters around you were to do this. And you cannot, that same gifting cannot also build my temple. But he said, but he said, your offspring will. And Solomon then picks up and finishes what David started. So he had to hand it from one generation to the next. David dreamed about the temple. He, he bought the supplies. He even made alliances with other nations. He did all he could, but someone else had to, there had to be a handoff. We see it with Elijah and Elisha. We spoke of a while ago. Elijah was there in the times of the kings of Israel when they were so corrupt, and he began to lead them back to revival. He called fire down on Mount Carmel. He killed the prophets. He did some great things, but it wasn't finished. It wasn't done. He had to hand the mantle off to the next generation who did twice the miracles of the previous generation. But the handoff had to continue because God's vision was bigger than could be fulfilled in one generation or in one leader. So in our lives, we notice this. We notice externally when we're following other leaders, we notice that there are those that we'll follow that are leading us that have a gift set and ability and a grace to move the things we're a part of, this church, for instance, into a certain place. But in order to go to the next place, he needs a different gift mix, a different set, a different grace. And he ha- there has to be a handoff in order for it to move forward. In the case of this church, Michael, the church he went to, I know that church well, I'm telling you. I was district superintendent. I preached all over this district. I know them all. And so, so Michael went to that church, and they needed his gifts there to move them where God wants them to go. And Ryan's been prepared. Him, they come here, and they're going to move this church. So that's a practical application right where you live. But in the same way, there are things in your life besides just the church you attend where God makes changes and who he wants you under. Are y'all still with me? 
There's people that you may say, well, I've been here, but I've gone as far as I can go. And God says, you're right. You can only go so far in this setting, in this. Now I need you under this person. I need you to be under this, in this business, in this world. And so God begins to close this door. Suddenly where we were, we were thriving. We don't thrive anymore. Suddenly where we were knocking it out of the park, we can't knock it out of the park anymore. Suddenly where the grace of God was enabling us to be very successful, we can't pull it off anymore. We're saying, what are you doing, God? And the Lord's luring us saying, no, 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 this it's to get you where I'm going. It's going to require more than one generation of leaders. I need you under this person. I need you over here. I need to move you here. I need to move you into this thing. See, atmosphere matters. Atmosphere predetermines what lives and dies. And so you can thrive in one atmosphere and not in another. And sometimes, sometimes, for instance, since you're still with me, let me just go a little more. For instance, Moses, we've picked on him a lot today. But when he was born, he was born in the house of a slave. He was born to slaves in the, with a slave mentality. But God wanted him to be a leader that could lead people. And so what did he do? He put him in a little basket, floated him in the Nile, had the daughter of the Pharaoh find him and bring him up in the house of Pharaoh. So that he could learn how to become who he could be in the atmosphere of Pharaoh's house rather than in the atmosphere of a servant's house. Does that make sense? So sometimes you've gone as far as you can go, but God says, no, I need now to plug you in here. And so this place began to spit him out. Now, sure enough, when it was time for Moses to lead, what happened? The Pharaoh's house turned against him. And he had to run off. And then, and then there, and then God had to call him back at the right time. And so all of that was somehow in the divine plan of God. But you have to be able to turn loose of what God's through with. There has to be that moment in life where God said, something, something, my servant. Something, something, my job. Something, something, my whatever is dead. Now you have 30 days to mourn. And then let's cross over to the promised land. Because God's got something. It's those shifts in life. Life is filled with change. I like what the old man said when I was helping a church and he quoted somebody else. But he, he was in the right setting to really make it powerful. He said, Pastor Rick, he said, we've, uh, this church, we've been through a lot of change over the years. A lot of change. And I want you to know I was against every one of them. I said, you're against them all? He said, yeah, but they, didn't, they weren't all bad. I just was against them. Why were you against them? He said, because change takes energy. Change always hurts. And I always avoided it at all costs, even when it was good. And you know what? When he said that, I thought, so do all of us. When God's trying to get us to release and walk away from something we've become comfortable with, it may be the old way, the hard way, the difficult way. I hate new phones. This phone will do things your other phone wouldn't do. This phone is easier than your other phone. This phone is simpler. What are you talking about? It can't be simpler because I already know how to use my old phone. If I get a new phone, even if it's simpler, I still have to learn it before it's simpler. And so the idea that anything new is better than something old, I like it. Jesus cleaned it all up when he said, the old wine goes in the old wine skin and the new wine goes in the new wine skin. And when you feed a person,
person new wine who has already drank the old wine, they're going to say the old wine's better. That's all of us. And so to have those moments when God says, I've moved on. Samuel kind of helps us sum this up. Samuel, Samuel had anointed Saul to be king over Israel. If you're familiar with that story, it's a great story. Saul was, started out to be a really good king, but then he got really out of line with God, and, and God couldn't, couldn't get him to repent. And so God says, I can't leave my anointing on him, so go anoint this other guy. And he leads him to David, and he would anoint David king. Later on, though, Samuel, who still loved Saul, he loved David too, but he still loved Saul, and he kept praying for Saul. And God actually said to Samuel, stop praying for Saul. It's over. I have anointed David. You need to catch up. It's an incredible moment. And in our life, there's those places and circumstances that we just keep saying, oh, but God, it was so good, and I just like it so much, and I just want to go back there. And I just think, God, you just ought to raise up that old dead thing and make it live again. Hallelujah. I believe in the resurrection, God. Come on, get me in there. That's what we need. Now, God, I've been thinking, God says, you know what? I don't even live there anymore. I've already moved. You should want to be with me more than you want to be with what you had. It's an incredible situation. And so there's, there has to be. Sometimes our marriages fail. We weep and cry and we want restoration. And sometimes God restores marriages. There's also times when God moves on. And he says to us, you, you need to quit living in the past. It's time to move on. But pastor, the, the broken marriage, it's against the Bible. And we got, we, I know, I know, I know. But God has a way of taking our mistakes and our failures and still turning them into something good if we'll go with God. We talked about Solomon, right? Solomon was the son of the woman David committed adultery with. Now their first child together died. But then God blessed the union that had started in sin. God's too much for me sometimes. And out of that union, he brings Solomon to finish what David started. You know what that says to me? Some of the things, some of the things that are alive are only alive because out of our guilt, we're keeping them alive. Out of our regrets. When if we would release it. God's ready to move on and bless. And take us in. Is that making sense to you? There's a time in life. Where we have to say. Okay I wish I was here. I should have been here. I could have been here. But the truth is. I'm right here. This is where I'm at. I told Rita this. One year ago, I'm wrapping up now. One year ago, year and a half ago, we were in uh, we were in uh, California at our national meeting. We were serving as superintendents for this district. Had been for ten years. Loved it. 
enjoyed what God had called us to do. Prior to that, we'd spent 18 years pastoring the church that's called North Place Church, where Ryan grew up. So we, anyway, so a year and a half ago, we're in uh, California, and they're doing this national election, and all of a sudden, my name has been nominated to serve in this national position. And uh, I had the opportunity to pull my name and was going to and, and, and was in the little meeting where I could do that. And the guy leading the meeting, one of our great leaders, he said, Rick, what, are you going to leave your name in? And I was going to say, no, I'm not. I said, well, I so appreciate and I'm so honored by the fact that they would nominate me to this. But the truth is, and then right then he said, you know what? I think you should pray about this, all of you that have been nominated, and we'll talk in the morning, dismissed. That's a true story. I wanted to say Dwayne. <laughs> anyway, so after spending the night praying and working through, the Lord made it very clear that we were supposed to leave our name in. We did leave it in, and we were quickly elected and became what we are at the national level now. That's how we got here. So about four months ago, maybe three, I was down in our basement where I pray in a little room I have down there, and I was praying and studying and doing my morning devotion. And out of nowhere, God speaks to me, and he says to me, you're no longer the pastor at Saxe Church. (laughs) You're right. (laughs) <laughs> he said, then quit talking about it. Quit thinking about it. Quit wondering what it would be if you still were. I said, okay. And I was about to start praying again, and he says, you're no longer the superintendent of the North Texas district. I said, well, I know. Do you? <laughs> well, I, I know But I keep thinking, but what if? He said, you are the general treasurer for the assemblies of God. I need you to be that. Because those other two things are dead to me. For you. They've got to be dead to you. So you can move into the promise I have for you. Moses, my servant, is dead. It applies to so many things in our life. Let's stop searching in the weeds to see if we can find him. Let's admit that part of our life, that piece of our life, here at the end of the year, in the Old Testament law, Brian, this is closing number two, I know Brian's counting for me over here. He's my good friend. In the Old Testament law, there was the Day of Atonement. One day a year. One day a year. Through a ceremonial process, the high priest would lay his hand on a sheep. And he would stand in for all the people in the nation of Israel. And all of their sin through him as he stood in as their intermediary. 
he would lay hands on that sheep and all the sin would be put on that sheep and that sheep would be brought in to be sacrificed for the sins of the nation one time a year so that all the sin they had committed that year would be considered under the blood in the Old Testament law way before Jesus became the fulfillment of that. And then he would place his hand on this goat that would be called the scapegoat. And then all, this, all the purpose of that sin and the, and the retribution for that sin would be put on that goat and he would be led off and released into the wilderness never to be found so that there would be no penalty to pay and no conscience unforgiven so that they would be released to go on into the new year without any of the old mistakes with them. They did it every year. Now, we don't do that anymore because Jesus is the fulfillment of both of those. Jesus accepted our sins. He went outside the city the same way the scapegoat was taken outside. There he died for our sins, became the Lamb of God, and shed his blood. And so we don't, but even though we don't need it as Christians, we have the fullness of it and we live it every day. It still doesn't hurt for us to use this annual opportunity as they did in the law. We call it the end of the year to say, I accept the forgiveness of God for what I've done wrong. I forgive myself for what I've done wrong. And I let all of that be dead so I can cross over into the fullness of what God has for me. And what a better day to do it than the last Sunday of the year. I know you made mistakes. You're human, aren't you? I know you did. Some of them were big. Some of them were small. Some of you were pretty often with your mistakes. All of it piles up and we can say, Lord Jesus, I put all of this under the blood that you shed. And I consider it dead. I accept freedom. Now then. Now then. Let's go over into the promised land of God. Amen. Amen. Won't you bow your heads with me this morning. Father we love you and we thank you. Your grace. Is so sufficient. And sometimes, God, your grace moves to a new set of parameters. It takes us to a new place. It takes us to a new experience. It takes us into new relationships. But that grace is what we must have. We must be where your grace is. And if you have finished in a place and we're still there and we're still trying to get you to raise it back up and and restore what you've already completed, Lord, give us the wisdom to declare with you, Moses, my servant, is dead. The ability to embrace what you're doing. Understanding that your process requires more than one generation of leadership. In our life, in our walk, more than one place, more than one opportunity. What you could do in the wilderness was different for there was manna. But on the other side, there was grapes and blessing and milk and honey. But they had to release one to go to the next one. And there's sometimes that comfort in what we've always known that causes us to continue to hold on to that which you've already finished with I pray in the name of Jesus pray in the name of Jesus you would make very clear to us those things in our own life that we must embrace as dead they're just dead they're over maybe it was our fault maybe we messed up maybe 
It was your plan and your timing, and we didn't mess up. It's just time to move on. And the mistake would be that we didn't go in when you opened the door. And this door is open. It's dead. I pray in Jesus' name that everyone here, according to who they are and where they are and what you're doing in their life, you would make this so personal to them. They would be able to release the past and move into the fullness of the promise. By the work of the Holy Spirit, help us all, God. Help us all. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Grace Hill is always about knowing God and growing in God, and we want to hear from you. If you have a prayer request or a question, you can email us at info at gracehill.cc.